0: On the Mic with Mike Peters. My guest this week is Chris Plumer, a comedian out of Buffalo. We met a few years ago in Utica, and he's even funnier now, if you can believe that. Funny what, like, four years can do. He's been doing stand-up steadily for about eight years, and works regularly at the Helium Comedy Club in Buffalo, and he also hosts game shows all over at colleges. He was Buffalo's funniest person in 2019 and 2020, an unprecedented 25-month reign, And he's got a new podcast, Live Reads, a podcast. He's got a great story about a heckling show that went a little bit wrong, so you're in for a treat. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to the podcast. If you like what you hear, sign up for the Patreon. It's five bucks a month. You can also follow Homebrewed Comedy on Facebook or go to homebrewedcomedy.com to see all of my show dates. Thanks again. I'll talk to you guys next week. Take care.
1: Thank you so much for doing this,
0: man. I really appreciate it again.
1: No, again, thank you for having me. I don't get to do podcasts very often, so I'm thrilled to be here.
0: Should I have known this before? Are you a, de- <laughs> a detriment to the scene? I think I'm a good. I think I'm a good guest. I guess we'll see. Uh, <laughs> no, man. I'm looking forward to having you on because uh, I think we met. What was it? 2018 in Utica at a contest. 17 or 18? Yeah. Yeah. I, that's, it's so weird. I always confuse like those two years. And like I can tell you the calendar date we met. Like I, I know it was like. August 18th or something like that but I I will confuse the years and I don't know if that like my autism is like you know not all the way there or what like it's just developing Sixty seven percent yeah it's weird uh but yeah I just I definitely forget the years but I remember seeing you and I thought you were hilarious and I was also impressed that you came all the way to Utica from
1: Buffalo I'm always fine to travel I don't know I like I should do it more And that's entirely on me. I love to make excuses not to, but that was one of those things where it was just like, it's just a reason to go out there, you know, meet some people, which I'm also very bad at. You know, it's a long drive, but I thought it was worth it.
0: What was it like four hours?
1: Different crowd, like three. Okay. That's not bad. You know, not too bad.
0: Yeah. I do the contest in Rochester and it's two and a half hours. And then I'm like, why do I do this to myself? Because I never win. And I'm like, you know, I just, I spend two and a half hours getting there. Like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm thinking great things. And I spend two and a half hours Mm -hmm. back wondering why I do comedy at all. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I've had those drives. I've done that Rochester contest too. And it's always like, I just want to go there. I want to have a good set in front of people. I want people to be like, who was that? Will, you know, he came out here for this. Will he come back again? And then like, The times that I do like move through around or something, I'm like, now I got to come back. And, you know, like (laughs) I'm happy to perform, but it's like, you know, sometimes that drive is just, what am I doing this for? You know, especially if you're going out with like, no, like I'm going to waste a whole day driving out here. I'm coming back empty handed. Like I'm not even getting a couple bucks for gas. Like, is this really worth anything to me? I think it has been long-term, you know, but Some people just get into those insular pockets. You Like your area is nice because you don't have so much condensed in one spot. No. So it kind of forces you to be a little more mobile. Like you've got to make the drive into Syracuse or into Albany. You know, some nights you just don't have stuff going on where like around here, sometimes I feel like I take it for granted that you can do a mic every night of the week in Buffalo. So it's like, well, I'm not going to drive to Rochester. I'm not going to drive to Erie because I can just go 10 minutes from my house and, you know, you're still getting to perform, but sometimes I think it's more important to go somewhere and get a different crowd. You know, you think something's working. Is it just because everybody in the room knows you already or, you know,
0: that's one of those things that I tell people, especially newer comedians, like when they complain about not getting booked, I'm like, that's because you don't leave the area. They don't know about you yet. And also you're so insulated that your material probably is all right. but it probably isn't as good as you think it is because all your friends are coming to see you still. It's like when you go outside, when you go to Syracuse or Rochester, or Buffalo, then you can get an accurate read on your material. Is it bulletproof? Do you have holes in it? Uh, And that's, that's something a lot of people just don't get. And I think like with, with the Binghamton area, we are very lucky because we're probably about an hour, hour and change from Syracuse, Scranton, Ithaca, Cortland, Wilkes-Barre is an hour and a half. I mean,
1: we're pretty centrally located for as South in the state as we are. Yeah. And it's nice because you get a little bit of different flavor. Like that's the important thing about getting out is like you go to the same mics, you meet the same people. They already know your backstory. You don't need to set anything up. You know, there's a good relationship, but when you have to kind of spread around, go see a cold audience. It's like, I've got to sell myself to these people in 15 seconds so I can get to jokes and they understand what's going on. And I know early on when I didn't really go around a lot, I think that was a big problem for me personally is, you know, if I'm going to say some weird stuff, I need these people to find it relatable and I need to find a way to get them real early on. When did you start doing comedy? The first time I went on stage was about 10 years ago. I went up once randomly. Uh, I went to just go check out the mic and see if it was something that I thought I could do. Uh, and I talked to the person who booked it, uh, shout out to Kristen Becker, the godmother of Buffalo. Uh, and she said, are you a comedian? I said, yeah, I wasn't. She said, do you have material? I said, yeah, I didn't. And she put me up right away. Uh, you know, did terrible, but it's an open mic. So, you know, everybody's doing, you know, whatever. And then I didn't do it again for like a year. I thought I would be fine. I got it out of my system. I wanted to go back. I made a drunken mess of myself the second time out, took another year off, uh, out of shame, mostly. (laughs) Uh, But I started doing it regularly, uh, New Year's of 2013, right around that time. Started regularly writing, regularly hitting mics, you know, that whole thing. So I'm about eight years, almost nine years, minus a year and a half.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you ever look back and say, okay, well, like, I wasted those two years. You know, where could I be
1: if I didn't go up once and take a year off? I didn't go up another time take a year off. Yes and no. But I also think, you know, the first experience wasn't bad. But the second one, the the drunken, humbling, shaming, I think uh, self-imposed exile was uh, actually kind of important because I did want to keep doing it. But I also knew, like, I've really got to have a plan to do something with it if I'm going to keep trying at it at all. I can't just, uh, I'm funny. Why don't I just go up there and make everybody laugh like everybody else does? I mean, to think way back, like this was something I wanted to do going back to when I was a teenager and I took 10 years to get the first one out of the way. So, you know, I don't want to get into that. Uh, I took those two years. Like I had a decade before where I was just wasting away. So, you know, good and bad with it, I guess. It always bothers me
0: when like, cause I started at 33 and I'm like, you know, mm-hmm. had I known how much fun it was? I mean, it sucks at, at times, but like how much fun overall it is. If I was 21 and I was in college and I knew a comedian there who she was probably the only one who was doing anything. If I could have like joined up with her and at least like set up a mic or a show and got had that spark, I would have had 12 more years experience maybe. And like who yeah. the hell knows? Like would I still be at Endicott New York? Uh, probably, but like, like who knows? And that—that's yeah. the stuff that bothers me. Of course, you do have that ten years of experience to draw from that you might yeah. not have, you know, when when you were like, you know, nineteen
1: or twenty. That's I think about that a lot with the the like the life experience stuff, where it's like, would I have just been like an edgelord lord, twenty two year old at open mics that everybody just rolled their eyes at? When he got on stage, you know, like, I don't know. It's a weird thing to think about because, you know, trying to put yourself back in that place. Like, what would I have done? And I, I don't know if I have an answer for, you know, like I would have gone up there and would I have been an impression guy? Like, right. I, I, you know, I have no idea. Well, Jeff Dunham was really big then. So you might have had a puppet. Who knows? That's one of my favorite things. <laughs> While we're talking about the early days and open mics, one of my favorite things is. Uh, somebody new showing up and just kind of whoever the hot comic is at the time. Like I remember those first two separate times that I went up very early on the first time there was a guy who described himself kind of like Mitch Hedberg. Yeah. And then a year later I went back, the same guy was now pitching himself as kind of an Anthony Jezelnik type. <laughs> you know, I'm a roast guy. And it was like, it's been a year and those are two vastly different comedic personalities. Like, what are you doing? Wow, he really liked him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> did anybody
0: recognize you from the first two
1: sets you did? Uh, if they did, they were kind of... Actually, no, They somebody did uh, One a, a podcast I did uh, a while back, which was a movie podcast where we never talked about movies. Uh, <laughs> with uh, Jason P. He He remembered me. <laughs> he goes, yeah, I didn't think you were ever going to come back. He's like, then, you know... Uh, a year later, I see you there again. And he was like, and you actually look like you took the time to write jokes that second time. And I was like, well, I, that's kind of what I was going for. So a couple people probably did. If anybody else did, they were probably kind enough to tuck that away. Yeah. Uh, you know, he came back. He wasn't still an obnoxious jerk. So let's just move forward. The first time I ever went to an open mic, I I planned to go up
0: and I didn't mm-hmm. because I thought, Oh, easy you just go up and you talk about your day you you go up and tell a story from college or high school that everybody you know those inside jokes that are hilarious to your friends then i went up and i saw steven rogers and archie mccarthy were at the the mic at maddie b's in binghamton and you know rogers ended up going on colbert and you know they're just very good they're polished pretty much and i saw them and i'm like i yikes (laughs) like i can't do that so I told the bartender who was also, uh, you know, he's a comedian too, but he goes, you're going up. And I said, no, no, next week though, next week I'll be there. And I went back mm. and I wrote, cause I don't know what I was going to do. I think I was just going to yeah. go up there and tell a story. And I yeah. took, took a week and I wrote a, a set. that was okay. I mean, you know, for a first time, I'm sure it was fine, but yeah, I was like, kind of like shell shocked. I was like, Oh no. Like I am vastly underprepared
1: for, just a Wednesday night mic in Binghamton. So when did you start yeah, feeling comfortable? Oh, that was a long road for me too. Like the, when I first started doing it regularly, the first couple times, I think just the pure like adrenaline got me through those ones. And it was like, ah, that wasn't, you know, I'm new. Like I'm working on something. I just had a hard time finding like my my stage, not even voice, but like presence. Like I had to... Kind of reset, you know. I had a, the first couple mics fine. Like I'm not going to say they were good, good even, let alone great. Like they were fine, you know. A couple laughs here and there, and then I went on the bomb train of just <laughs> probably a month and a half of just I would completely lose my place, like you know, cowering, shuffling my feet, filling with the mic stand, all of that stuff. Uh, and then I had to, I kind of did a forced reset of like, I started sitting on the stool so that I wouldn't be shuffling around, Right. you know, make sure the mic stand was out of the way, you know, I'd have my notebook, you know, go through and then, you know, now I'm one foot off of the stool, leaning forward a little bit, you know, a couple of weeks later, I'm back up standing, you know, stuff like that. Like I would say, I mean, I still don't feel great most of the time, you know, on stage. There's a lot of false bravado in, in my stage presence. And every once in a while I get caught up in it and I'm like, they know you're lying right now. They know <laughs> you're not the, they know you're not this bombastic personality they know. But, uh, I would say probably like two years in is when I felt comfortable getting up on a stage. I wasn't dreading if I didn't have a joke perfectly worked out to throw out their, Like, why am I doing this? I can't get one joke written in a week's time. What am I wasting my time for? Where I could go up there and be like, well, I have an idea. I know it's going to go somewhere and I'm confident enough that I can at least push it forward to something probably about two years in.
0: And you could go up every night and do you ever go and say, okay, well, here's, let's say it's Monday. I have an idea. I'm going to hit a Mm -hmm. mic or a show. Let's say, let's say your, your goal is a show on Saturday. Do you Mm -hmm. ever take one joke on Monday and say, okay, let me go five times and let's get this worked out.
1: Are you at that ability yet? I was so, yeah, that's, that's something I've been doing more so lately, probably the, like the year since reopening stuff of just like, I'm going to drive this one thing as far as I can take it. You know, sometimes it's easy to lose confidence in that, I guess, when, You stay like if I stay just in Buffalo and do that, that's where sometimes I like to make the ride out to Rochester a random night of just like I'm saying this in front of the same 20 people who are, you know, same 20 comics. Like, am I really getting anywhere with this? You know, shake it up, drive somewhere to do it. But just repeating it throughout the week, working on it day to day like uh, this, this tag doesn't work. Uh, I got to tighten up this setup. I've been getting more into that probably the last year of I think, being able to power through that way.
0: I think one of the hardest parts for me, at least, and I know a lot of comedians go through this is like, if you're doing multiple mics in the same town or multiple shows in the same town, it's ha- very hard for me not to just try to write something different or bring something different to like, like I had a mic last night, I'm hosting a mic tonight. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do the same material in front of essentially the same people. And yeah. I have to, I have to work so hard about getting it out of my head say, okay, you're not, you're not performing for the comedians, but almost every time I'm like, no, I want the comedians to like me because I want to be booked. I want to be impressed by them. If somebody like Chris Plumer comes Mm -hmm. out of town, I want him to see that I'm funny, you know, like all that stuff goes through my head.
1: And do you struggle with that too? Yes. (laughs) There are, there are times, especially at an open mic sometimes and it'll happen. I feel like this always happens You know how open mics go. It's feast or famine with randoms in the crowd. Like some nights it's just the gang hanging out. Some nights there's 40 people. You have no idea where they came from. There's never been 40 people inside of this place before what is going on. And it feels like whenever I have something new that I know I have to work on, like I want to add it to a set that I have to do real soon. And I have to work this out. It's always when there's a crowd of strangers and everybody else is going up, doing their type five, you know, high five and the waitress on their way out. And I'm like, <laughs> I need to work on this. But I assure you, strangers who have never met me before, that I'm good at this. Yeah, that Very- that's, that's where it really gets me is like there are some nights where I'm just like, I, I know I'm better than this. And these people are going to go away from this. They wouldn't remember my name even if I was good, but they're just going to know that there was one guy who wasn't as good as everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> I host the mic and
0: I'll have like new material and I fully mm-hmm. intend on doing all the new material. And I'm fine with that. Until we have like 12 people in the audience who aren't comedians. <laughs> I'm like, oh shit. What if all this <laughs> new stuff sucks? And I bomb completely and set an awful tone. And then they're like, oh, we'll never come back because that guy, the guy who's running the show, absolutely blows so i'm like yeah. no let me <laughs> let me change it up a little bit and i'll save that just new stuff bit. for next week
1: mm-hmm. yeah wow. it's it's a fickle mistress
0: i remember i hosted a show or hosted a mic and it's in my hometown i i went to ue Union endicott and uh you know i just moved back to endicott so kelly's you came to the bar that's mm-hmm. that's like the the neighborhood bar the townies go there yeah and so i'm sending everything up for the mic, and I look to a table and I saw a woman I graduated with from high school.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, the high school class system never goes away. It's <laughs> like, oh, she was popular in high school. I was not. I'm gonna delay the mic as long as possible so she leaves and doesn't tell the next reunion. Oh, I saw Mike, mm-hmm. he's awful. So, like, I remember <laughs> I, I told her, I told like uh like everybody there, I was like, hey, um, we're gonna we're gonna delay it at like seven forty five, and they're like, "All right, you're waiting for people." to go, "Kinda," <laughs> like, "Yeah." I was like, "No way," because <laughs> I didn't want to go up there and be like, "All right, I'm an idiot." Kim, you were right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Did you grow up in Buffalo? Uh, I grew up just outside of Buffalo, yeah. uh, a town called Hamburg, New York, but it's Heard like a, a fifteen minute drive to downtown. It's like Buffalo is weird with that. There, there's like the city proper, but there's the entire circle of the city are, you know, small town suburbs that are literally 15 to 20 minutes from downtown.
0: Yeah. My sister went to Fredonia and that's about all I know about
1: Buffalo. Like it's not really in Buffalo, obviously, but it's about an hour out. And if you were explaining it, like if you grew up in Fredonia and you were explaining it to somebody from out of state, you'd be like, yeah, I grew up by Buffalo.
0: Yep. It's one of those. When I moved to, you probably get this too, but when I moved to, Lockhaven, Pennsylvania. Somebody say, Oh, well, they're like, Oh, you're not from around here, are you? I go, No, why? Like, oh, you don't talk like us. I'm like, all right, thank you. And <laughs> but they would say, Well, where are you from? And I said, New York. I'm like, oh, the city? I'm like, no. Oh, yeah. So I, I'm sure you get that too, but it's like it, it just never ends. So eventually I'm just like, Yeah, Queens, you know, go for it. But like <laughs> i, I yeah, but I know, like, like I'll try I'll, like, yeah, I'm from Binghamton. Uh it's on the map, you know. Uh Uh, It's near Syracuse, but I would, I would assume that like Buffalo is well known enough that people are like, oh yeah, I mean, you got the Bills and Sabres, so that's enough
1: for people. Usually. Yeah. I think, I think the big thing for, for a lot of New York is that people don't realize how large the actual state is. So even if it's like, well, we know Buffalo is on the other side, but it's what, like two hours to New York city. And it's like ah, a little more. Yeah. It's a big one.
0: Yeah, well, what is it? Seven hours? Eight hours? About seven. Yeah, yeah. The geography of Buffalo and Rochester. When I'm booking shows, kills me. I don't think I'll ever remember how far the two are. Or like, if I book a show in like around the Ithaca area, I'm like, oh, cool, it's closer to Buffalo. I'm like, I don't think it really is. Like, it's just weird. I mean, kind weird. Of, like, <laughs> God, I mean Luba, yeah, kind of closer. It's like, like, like it's, it's an so hour and a half from me. So I figure, oh, it's going to be an hour and a half closer to Buffalo. No, like 20 minutes. I'm like, how's that work? <laughs> so I've heard a lot of good things. I mean, I've talked to a bunch of people in Buffalo, but like, and I've I've worked with them, but like that scene from everybody I've talked to, that's the best scene in New York, outside of the city, at least. I mean, would you think that's,
1: do you think that's right? It's definitely up there. Uh, there's a lot of good comics around here, especially like right now, like there's great, and there's a lot of new people coming. to, like there's a nice establishment of people who've been doing it for a while around here like and i'm i'm starting to get into that level of you know guys who've been doing it a while around like damn near a decade so but there there there's a great scene around here like like i said like mike every night the showcases like diy stuff is finally starting to pop up again that was a little slow going i'm sure you know you dealt with that yeah in your area of New York State too, where it was just that slow rollout of stuff. And a lot of our venues, you know, made it through but struggled a little bit reopening. Uh, but everything now is really starting to pick up. You know, there's probably every week, I'd say there's at least one local showcase, you know, mics every night. We got the Helium Club here that's rolling through. And I think having like a larger club like that in the area really helped kind of the scene in itself. Cause everybody wants to get on that stage and you're not going to get on there. Just, you know, being lazy at a mic, you got to really push yourself. You got to push everybody around you. So I don't know if it's the best in the state, but it, I, I feel it's definitely up there. I would think with that level
0: of competition, it's going to either make you a better comedian or deter you from even
1: doing comedy. Like, Oh, I can't yeah. compete. But so I think that's really healthy. Oh, absolutely. And there's, you know, there's the wave of people who come through, you know, new comics. You know, New Year's is always a big time of people who've always wanted to try it, coming out, trying mics, coming out to shows, hanging out. And, uh, you know, losers at fantasy football who their punishment is to do stand-up comedy, which is always my my most prideful moment, is, is doing an open mic where somebody doesn't want to be there. <laughs> they have to go up. It really... Really makes me appreciate the craft that we work in. But those people, like there are, you know, 20 people come in and three weeks later, two of them are still showing up. But you know that they really want it. Yeah. You know, so I think that kind of stuff helps everybody.
0: Yeah. I, man, it's been a long time since I saw somebody not want to go on stage. So I remember seeing somebody didn't know his name was on the list. And oh, yeah. So I called the name and he goes, huh? And I go, you don't have to come up here if you don't want to. And he goes, No, yeah. I guess I'll do it. And then his buddy tried to put him on the next week, and he goes, No, I'm, I'm out. And I'm like, All right.
1: So I'm like, I'm like, What yeah. is, you got to get new friends. That's, yeah, that's a bad friend right there. I mean, <laughs> one time, if you're like, ah, I really want to do this, and he just kind of like, All right, bud, you know, like you keep talking about it, let's go for it. But to do it again, that's, yeah, you need a new pal, you need a new role crew. <laughs> so I know we, we had a little bit of an
0: exchange on Facebook. So I think I know the answer to this, but I think we're about the same age. I'm 38, and uh, uh, what TV shows did you grow up watching? I mean, what do you think kind of influenced your sense of humor?
1: I mean, I grew up mostly without cable, so it was a lot of reruns of The Simpsons and Seinfeld. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm 37, so same age range. I mean, that yeah. that. was that, that's probably most of it. You know, big Scooby-Doo fan. I guess. Really?
0: Oh, I hated <laughs> yeah. Scooby-Doo. Hated it.
1: Oh, I loved it. Oh, I don't know why, but specifically like the old ones, you know. Scrappy Doo shows up, I'm tapping out. I don't really. Those, okay. But, oh yeah.
0: I just didn't like it because you knew it was the same ending every time. <laughs> you know, like like I maybe I should go back and watch it because there probably there's probably some humor in it that I didn't pick up or something like that. But I was like, it's the guy in the
1: mask. I mean, it's an old guy. That's it that might've just been, I'm a child of divorce. And that might've just been the consistency that I needed to get me through the day. I know it's old man Withers. I know it's going to be, but just knowing that he's going to be there underneath that mask just makes it all worthwhile. Trying to think of, Oh, Oh, I can't believe I have jokes about this show. Roseanne. Oh, I love that show. Roseanne was probably my, my top show. Like, Week to week, no DVRs, no Tivos back then. Maybe if you knew how to use the VCR, if you had to be out of the house, you could catch it. But I used to look forward to watching that. That's that's probably probably my top show of all time. Wow, that's I, I'm yeah I don't disagree with it. I've just never heard somebody say it's the top show. That it's just another one that really really spoke to me. You know, again, what? broken home, grew up in a trailer park. Roseanne is my kind of people. <laughs> Maybe not today. <laughs> wow! No,
0: I'm going to clip. It was I'm the gonna, '90s. <laughs> I'm going to clip this to make sure. To make sure. You're out. no No, uh, because I grew up with Roseanne and Marriage of Children, and those oh, two yeah. shows were like the insult-based comedy against your family. Like, yeah, those two shows are why my brother doesn't like me. I think, <laughs> like, like I just didn't quit. I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll make fun of you a little bit more, a little bit more until we only see each other Easter, you know, but I yeah. absolutely love, and I, I went back and watched Roseanne a couple years ago. Fantastic show, except for
1: like the last okay. season. Well, you know, it, it's got to end somehow, right? That's the best I can come up with. It's yeah. terrible. I can't excuse the last season, but what are you going to do?
0: I just, it's so weird. The rest of it, though. Oh, it's fantastic.
1: It, you know, it, I, yeah,
0: I didn't know how they were going to bring back Dan for the Connors. I've never checked out the Connors.
1: <laughs> it's not bad. It really isn't bad. I'm sure it's fine, but it's one of those, like, I mean, we, we had a discussion about nostalgia and stuff from the past, you know, in real life, and that it doesn't need to be for me. I'm fine with the old stuff. I don't need, I, if I want it, I can dip back into the old stuff. You can find it on Amazon or Hulu or something. It'll be fine. Yeah, I just, I, when,
0: when you kill off a character, I don't think you talk about bringing him the sequel, like or
1: it's just, you're done. Kill off a character in the most controversial way, like it was well talked about because not only was that season bad, but that last episode was so crazy. Yeah, like yeah, Dan died. What are how are we going back?
0: And then you spend like the the whole thing, the whole season, trashing him, like his reputation. It's like, oh yeah, Dan was this. <laughs> Like he was, a lot of people say he's the best TV dad. And then you take last yeah. season, and uh, he he cheats on Roseanne with a nurse, and yeah. and then he he
1: abandons the family.
0: It's like, what are you doing? Yeah,
1: yeah. And then in the last episode, you try to redeem him and just say he liked cream corn too much and he passed away. Like that's just <laughs> that's, it's just bad. He was definitely for five of six seasons was definitely the best father on. 90s tv yeah when
0: i think it was man i don't i think it was fisher when he went to beat up the guy who hit jackie yeah we were like, oh shit this guy is he's
1: the man yeah defending his sister-in-law's honor come on now you weren't getting that you weren't getting that on married with children no way bundy wasn't going l bundy wasn't going to take care of peg's family
0: no wanger oh, no. county trash get out of here <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know a lot about
0: TV. It's not, uh, I'm proud of it. I'm just, uh, I shouldn't be. Uh, <laughs> no, that's not, I always uh, go back to that because, you know, I grew up with The Living Color and The Simpsons and oh, yeah. children, like, like 88, 89, 90. Like that was when I was in my room with, with the TV watching things where, mm. you know, that my parents shouldn't have let me watch. And George Carlin had a show and it was on that oh, Sunday yeah. block. And I'm like, oh, so I saw all that. And I always think that's what informed maybe not my comedy, but my sense of humor and what I like. Yeah, And I think that's always like a telling sign. Like if you're a big Seinfeld or a Simpsons guy, it's like, I would almost think like the comedy portion of your brain is always in the forefront where it's like, okay, you're looking for the subtle humor because that's mm-hmm. most of what the Simpsons are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think especially with like the Simpsons stuff Like, and I think that's where a lot of my, my comedic influence is from that is that there's so much absurdity, like in the golden era, Simpsons, like season, like five through 11. Yeah. There's so much absurdity. And that's definitely where I like to look for things and find things is just kind of the inherent silliness of everything that happens around you at all times. Do you have a favorite episode? Oh, I mean, this is going to sound really dumb, but it's probably the monorail episode. (laughs) It's a perfect episode. (laughs) There's so much crazy stuff going on. There's a carny. There's a monorail. There's Leonard Nimoy. There's possums inside of a closet on a train. Like I call the big one bitey. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. And Lyle Landley. I mean, it's got a song and dance number. It's yeah. got something for everybody.
0: Yeah, that's. I always say Lisa on Ice because it's the hockey episode with her and Bart. Oh yeah, that's a good. One. And that's got like it's probably you're in not in direct competition. competition. Exactly. <laughs> hey, good news. <laughs> you guys are facing each other. You're in direct competition. <laughs> fight! Fight! Uh, no, I, I just I I would say that's probably there's probably a top twenty list, and I I would think Lisa on Ice is on it just because it had like so many good one liners.
1: And, oh, yeah.
0: But, yeah, you're right. I mean, that's a season six episode, Monorails 4, and there's just there's a murderer's row. When you go back on Disney+, and you watch or just scroll through the episodes, you're like, oh, that's a classic, that's a classic, that's a classic.
1: They're all really, yeah. really strong. Yeah. And especially, like I said, growing up watching the reruns, you know, it was on 5 and 5.30 on a Canadian station that we would get on the antenna. And then it would be on at 6 and 6.30 on the local Fox affiliate and Fantastic. it was like, I'm getting four out four episodes in a row. And they're all, they were all from that era. You know, they were all like the season before every once in a while, you'd have to go back to season one, but you know, just so many, so many great episodes in that run.
0: And that's a show I mean, where you know, that's a show where like, I don't get tired of watching the same episode
1: on reruns. No, not at all. Not at all. That was when I used to set up the VCR and record the block if I yeah. wasn't going to be home in time, watch them later, keep the VHS, throw it on randomly, you know, a little bit of background noise. But the same thing, like that era was so heavy with joke writing and sight gags where like you could watch an episode five, six, seven times and come away with two new jokes every single time. Yeah. That would entertain you.
0: Did you ever think about writing like for for the Simpsons or TV? Like, would, would that have been a goal for you? Like, especially
1: back then? I don't know if I am capable of that. I do like, I occasionally do sketch stuff and it is always 100% for me. (laughs) Like (laughs) I've done things where like, I know this is for two people on YouTube out of the billion users worldwide. There's two people who are going to give this a thumbs up and I don't care. Uh, Like, It happens with my joke writing too. getting out of something is my least favorite thing. Like I would, if anything, I would just like to be in the bullpen, just throwing out ideas. Yeah. Like if you, if you, the, uh, the documentary about South park, the The six days, six days to air where it's, they're just sitting in the room and it's like, we're just throwing out wacky scenarios and you know, he's going to worry about all the writing after we're done after the five of us are done spitballing. I'm a spitball guy.
0: Yeah. Bill Hader was one of those writers, right? I mean, not a writer. Yeah. But like, imagine that you, one had, of the, yeah. you have Bill Hader on your roster and you're like, yeah, what do you think is going to do? All right, we'll take over from here.
1: Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but how amazing for him too, where he doesn't have to be the details guy and he can just your wildest imagination, Bill. Just throw something out. We'll work on it afterwards. And just yeah. like that's that would be the dream gig for me. I'm just like go wild. Don't worry. We'll hash it out afterwards. You just run free.
0: I always thought for me, like uh R.J. McCarthy told me once uh, he, he was surprised that I hadn't written any like scripts or anything. Like spec scripts. Mm-hmm. I just haven't. But I always thought like because I watched so much. Full House and Saved by the Bell and Boy Meets World, Home Improvement, like all these episodic television shows, I started to recognize the cadence to all these TV shows because they're essentially the same. And you know yeah. that you know when you get to like you know when the act break is coming. They're like, okay, well they're going to have a good joke here and they're going to fade into the commercial, or okay, they they're gonna they're gonna have that group hug. You know, like I just it was yeah. also formulaic. And I sometimes I'm surprised, like I'm surprised that I haven't written something. Maybe it's laziness. But that's the, mm-hmm. that's a TV I would be into, you know, I don't know if they're, they're even making that TV anymore, but just that, yeah, that family type sitcom, but like you, like, I'm not, oh, maybe I shouldn't say like you, but I don't have any belief that my idea is good, but I think I could help out. And it's like, okay, yeah. you know, I, I could definitely, you know, I'll, I'll play the point guard here. You know, I'll,
1: I'll give you the ball and you know yeah. you do it. Yeah. I can dish it out. I can dish it out to you with the best. Yeah. My jump shot is not the best, but <laughs> I put spin on that pass like you wouldn't believe. Right. Nobody's taking that bounce that's pass how, off. The that's floor. how I feel about it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. When, Fundamentals.
1: <laughs>
0: you, you were Buffalo's funniest in what? 2019, 2019. And technically in
1: 2020. That's right. Sorry. I didn't mean to shortchange. It. <laughs> Wasn't dethroned. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? I am no longer, but I was 2019. Man. What was that feeling like when you're crowned? Um, it was the best and worst all at the same time. <laughs> like I was very happy and I was honestly like one of the happiest moment moments of my adult life. Cause it was like, I worked really hard at something and you know, it's, uh, you know, it's just a, a local contest thing and whatever, but it's like, I've got a plaque with my name on it. Like I was recognized for being excellent at something I really loved doing. Everyone who saw me that night would not have believed that I was happy. (laughs) (laughs) There was a lot of, are you okay? And it was like, I am, but there was almost a part of me that was like, like the local contest, like we were talking about the scene being tough, like the local contest, I feel like is tougher than they are in other places like when I've gone to Rochester to do theirs, I'm sure for the people in Rochester, they have the same feeling that we do around here, but like it just, it weighed on me and I was chasing it and I had gotten so close. Like I had been a finalist a couple of times before and it was that like, you know, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just a hangout guy, you know, at open mics, you know, like whatever, but getting that, I don't know. It it was great. And you know, it's not like it it changed my life, but it really, it made me feel viable. I always had a hard time calling myself a comedian. Really? Uh, yeah. Even still, sometimes when people ask, I'll do like, yeah, like I'm unsure. Uh, but that really made me feel like I could call myself that and not feel like a sham.
0: But you can call yourself an award-winning comedian now.
1: An award-winning comedian. Two years strong. I, can't, I, can't. You
0: know, I mean, how, I've never done
1: that. Contest Is that similar to Rochester? Uh, Yeah. The voting is different, right? The voting is a little bit different. Like the first, the opening round, the preliminary rounds, they strictly do crowd vote. But then for the semifinals and finals, they get a panel of judges that vary from now they use past winners. Uh, There's a couple radio personalities. Uh, They've used like regular patrons at the club. Like there's a few couples that they come almost weekly to every show, regardless of the comedian, like they're, they just love comedy. So, you know, like everything it's, you know, comedy's hard. Cause it's a little, it's a little subjective, but at the yeah. same time, you know, you know when something's funny and part of sitting on that judges panel is, you know, maybe you didn't laugh necessarily, but if you see people around you laughing uproariously, like, yeah, you know, that was funny, you know? So uh, they, that one's a little different. I know like the Rochester has the judges through the whole thing and the crowd voting, and they kind of mix it all together in their formula. So it's yeah, a little a bit different. Yeah.
0: So what's it like, were you able to judge this year? Cause I know you, you closed out the shows.
1: This year, this year I hosted the shows okay. and I did the coveted uh, check spot vote tallying gotcha. portion of the show, which was my absolute favorite thing. I'm not kidding when I say this, like some of the people who have won before who were like, man, I'm not looking, I'm glad I don't have to do that again. And I loved every single second of it. <laughs> I would have to do like a half hour. And I mean, most of the time people were just like, we just want to know if our friend won, Yeah, you know, like, and not that they were disinterested, but just like really, really working for like five minutes and winning a room over that doesn't care at all about me. Like they're not there to see me. They're there to support their friends or watch whatever. And the show's kind of done and just trying to work the magic of re-engaging them was I loved absolutely every second. of it.
0: Yeah. Bill Lake was telling me that like you would go up there and kind of wait. I don't know if this is his words, but you were waiting for a cue, but like when they, you know, said, okay, keep going. You're like, all right. Did you have I mean, how much of that was yeah. ad libbed at, at a certain point?
1: Um, well, I think a little bit of it ad libbed, but I think a lot of it was uh, so like I had just before the pandemic happened and everything shut down. I had just started featuring. So like I had kind of like a 20, 25 ish minute set that I had just been working on beforehand. And, you know, obviously it needed some tweaks just because of time and, and the times changing, but I at least had a nice base for, I would say 15 to 20 minutes every single time was almost the exact same set. And then, you know, I would kind of get the cue of like, ah, we need, you know, five more minutes. We need 10. We don't know right now. Uh, And then it was kind of, after that was jokes that I had or was working on. Right. But we're just kind of freestyling where they go. You know, I don't personally like doing real crowd work Uh, when I do crowd work. It's all just a clever ruse to get to something that I want to say. Yeah. You know, so there was a little bit of that, that kind of interplay and just, you know, making it seem like it was something more than it was. But uh, surprisingly, I have a lot of material. I don't know if it's good. Yeah. So that was a great way to be like, all right, I've got this half cocked idea. I've got these people back on my side. How far can I string it out? There is, I'll tell this one specifically. There is one joke I have that much like my sketch stuff is for a very niche audience. (laughs) (laughs) And the very last night of the contest when they did the winner, uh, since it was the the last show and I wanted it to be special for me, I have a joke that started out as like two sentences that I stretched into 17 minutes. Oh my night. God. It is it is not for everybody. It involves a sick pet. and it involves, <laughs> it involves an outlandish scenario. But I went the whole 17 minutes with it. And at the end, people were still kind of on board with it. And it was just one of those like, I don't know if I'll ever do that again in that way, but it was like a lot of spitballing in that one, a lot of freestyling. Like this was something that I never said with this joke before that one specifically. uh, Yeah. 17. (laughs) That's crazy. (laughs) How do you remember a joke that's 17 minutes long? I will. Luckily a lot of it is just imagery. Yeah. I'm just building up. I'm building up a scenario just for at the end of it to say, yeah, wouldn't that be crazy? <laughs> so there, there's a few beats that I know I want to hit because it kind of takes on a mystery thriller. So like, I'm making movie references. I'm referencing Seven. I'm referencing, you know, like I'm I'm making all kinds of of little references to things. But I do have a good memory for that. Like most of my notes, even like my writing notebooks, a lot of stuff are just bullet points of ideas and i'm good enough at retaining like the thoughts that i've had or the things that i've said before to to find it pretty good in just that bullet point because i sometimes i have to write out something fully but most of the time i don't because once i write something out fully like that the next time i say it i feel robotic doing it yeah yeah like if I put the pen to paper and I write the word down, it's like my brain goes, you absolutely have to say it this way. And it just doesn't feel the same for me. Uh, so I said there was like no freestyling. And now I'm like, the way I write, I just have like five <laughs> words I need to say.
0: <laughs> no, I get and you. everything completely. else can be whatever. I get you completely. Uh, I know for a long time, I was just a one liner guy. And, I was you know, just as a way to learn how to write a joke. And yeah, I was told that I was being robotic and I'm like, Oh, I get it completely because I wanted the words to go in this specific cadence and order. And, you know, everything was mm. so rehearsed. And then when I shifted back to like a little storytelling type thing or shorter ideas or whatever, I became a little more comfortable on stage. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Oh, if I don't get this word, if I stumble over something, it's not a big deal. You know, I, yeah. I think for me, That was just a matter of being a little more comfortable.
1: Yeah. I think that's kind of how it works with like some of the uh, crowd work stuff. Like when I incorporate the crowd in a lot of it is just kind of reading the temperature of the room so that I know in a joke, you know, which side I want to push on, Yeah, you know, to get the to get the laugh out of them. But at the same time, I'm not beholden to the script that's in my head.
0: I looked at like Louis C.K. as an example for that, where it's like every time every time you see him on stage, it it almost looks like he's telling this for the first time. But you know he's not. He's just that kind of laid back and comfortable with what he's doing. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like I see someone like him, I'm like, oh, he's fooling the audience, you know, because Mm -hmm. he's stammering sometimes. And, you know, he's just – it seems like he's just coming up with this. And that's where I aspire
1: to be, like that level of comfort. Yeah, and it almost – Like those styles, they feel conversational. Yeah. Like if there wasn't a room of people around you and somebody was saying this, like you'd be like, you'd still be engaged and you would even think like, oh, I could throw something into this, you know? And even in those, even in a a full room, it still feels like they're just talking to you at your table. Yeah. Like, you know, even watching it on TV, like they have specials that translate well. A lot of, spe- I don't watch a lot of specials because a lot, like, I think it's probably because I've seen how the sausage is made too many times. Right. And a lot of the magic is gone, but they, they feel separate. You know, they feel too produced. They feel too refined. But like, like Chase last special, it felt like he's in the room with me. Yep. Like it feels like I'm sitting down watching the, like, watching him practice it almost, you know, which that's, that's the kind of, stage presence i want to have like like we were talking about earlier like everybody isn't going to remember my name but if somebody just remembers like i remember that guy and i feel like everything he was saying was specifically for me like that's the kind of uh kind of feeling i want to generate almost obviously you want the laughs but like i want people to feel like they're a part of it
0: right and then you show them your youtube sketch and realize hey maybe i'll get a third (laughs) like yeah yeah (laughs) Uh, do you remember the worst that you've ever had? Worst show?
1: Oh, all right. There's so many things. So I'm going to start <laughs> this with the weirdest, with the weirdest thing and see if I can come up with the worst one ever. Uh, I did a private show uh, for a social club that somebody had booked and they just ate dinner. They talked about when their next meeting was, and then they were going to do the comedy show. And just before the comedy show, after Talking about the next, which they didn't discuss what was happening, what the meeting was for. It was just the next time we're going to have dinner together, 80 of us, whatever. It was very weird, but it was Veterans Day weekend. And somebody stood up and said, being Veterans Day and all, I think it would be appropriate for all of us to stand and recite the Pledge of Allegiance for Bill, who's with us tonight, a 91-year-old World War II veteran. (laughs) And this entire room stood up, said the Pledge of Allegiance, and as soon as they were done, all right, time for comedy, everybody. Oh, boy. <laughs> it was like, it is not time for comedy right now. <laughs> that was one of the weirdest setups I've, I've had to do comedy. Uh, probably the worst show I've ever done, which this is, this is going to be another weird one, I guess. Okay, so I used to host a show at Helium uh, called Comedy Smackdown. And it was a show where heckling was encouraged. And we, we kept score audience heckles versus comedians responses.
0: By the way, this sounds uh, like a nightmare.
1: It, it was a special show. And I think this is where we go into my weird things, where I like something that is 100%. The show was just for me.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, but uh, people hated doing the show. It was always a pain to book. Uh, It was my absolute favorite. And almost everybody had fun at the end of it, but they were terrified of it beforehand. Uh, But one of the last ones we did, nobody made us aware beforehand. All we knew was that an organization booked a fundraiser in the restaurant of the club before, and they were going to come into the show afterwards. And it was like, oh, cool. You know, this will be fun. There'll be people there, whatever. And they knew the gist of the show. They wanted to be there for it. Uh, I went on stage, started my set, and I made a reference to seeing something. I was talking about some movie and I was like, have you seen this? And somebody just goes, no. And I go, well, you know, this might not be for you, but you should check it out and watch it sometimes. And he just goes, I can't watch anything. No one of the servers brought a little oh. pamphlet for the group that was here. Every single person in the audience was blind. <laughs> <laughs> Every single one. <laughs> And it made me realize at the time, the set that I was doing, how dependent it was on visual references. Wow. So for the next seven minutes, I would just talk about some like, have you ever been at a parade? And you know, the front car is going through. And I'm like, well, you people have never seen the front car. Going through. <laughs> <laughs> and just And everybody throughout the night would just step in it in the same way of just like making a reference to something like an everyday occurrence that yeah. you don't even think about. And somebody would just be like, we're blind. And it was, <laughs> it was the absolute worst and also the best all at the same time. How do you come back from that? I'm blind. Sorry. I mean, there there was really no coming back. I think when I, when I found out they were blind, and I even said, I'm like, I'm talking about movies a lot in this. And since none of you have ever seen one, I don't know what to do. Uh, but if you just want to make fun of deaf people for the next 45 minutes, we can do that. And they all started clapping. That's great. <laughs> it was like, okay, I I don't know. They were they were there for it. They stayed for the whole show. They had fun with it, which is well, really all that matters. But they couldn't find the exits. What are they going to do? <laughs> Oh no! You guys are here forever. You're not getting your dogs back <laughs> until you pay the check. But I remember it being super deflating at the time, and also again, the heckles were top notch because it was all just like you people and your working eyes. You're all garbage, <laughs> and we were like, we kind of are. And at the afterwards, though, it was just like I will never forget that, and also. Great prank by the club. Not telling. us. That's fantastic. <laughs> and they knew it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Something could have been said, but I'm glad that it wasn't because then it would have made it weird instead yeah. of, you know, everybody would have been like, ah, but instead it was like, this just happened and let's just roll with it. But it was definitely a bad show.
0: <laughs> How much longer did that show go on? I mean, not like, I mean, the series.
1: Um, I think we only did like one or two more after that. It was, it was, again, I loved the show probably specifically for me, you know, very niche on people who would want to do it, but it was just, it was hard to book and it was surprisingly hard to like sell to people. Like there were sometimes the last couple outside of the show with the blind group, probably like the last four or five of them, people were just hesitant to, say something from the tables or, you know, or you just have one person just being really obnoxious where it was like, well, this like on paper, it's a great show idea. Right. But it's, it's hard to, you need a perfect storm and it kind of petered. It lasted like two years though. That's great though. Which, yeah. Like I didn't think it was going to last that long. So, you know, you take your shots sometimes. Is helium- I would love to bring it back as like a one-off here and there, like a seasonal, you know, uh, it's the spring smackdown, but. You got, you got the alliteration. It works. Yeah. Is
0: helium pretty easy to work with when you, when you have ideas like that? Oh yeah.
1: They're always open to suggestions for stuff. I have a few other failed shows. <laughs> <laughs> but they were at least like yeah you know if you got an idea you know uh the manager there Sean's real good about that and he's always like you know even if it's a bad idea like just throw me something you know and I'll talk it out with whoever maybe we can work it into something but they have a few uh they have a few other really good shows there uh you know Rick Matthews yeah 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 he runs a uh comics against humanity show there uh that's like semi monthly right now but it's You spin a wheel, you get an envelope with three cards against humanity cards in it, and you have six minutes to make a set with those three cards. Wow. So it's like a little bit of improv, a little bit of whatever. And, you know, like the front row has cards. So like if you're really struggling with something, they can throw a new idea at you. Sometimes they're hilarious with the card that they throw up to try and get you out of a jam and really just put you in more of a jam. And it's super fun. (laughs) Again, something that's probably only funny to me, (laughs) but, but, uh, you know, like that was something he, he came up with when he was running, uh, running a a room around here. And when he lost that room, the club was like, yeah, we'll take that on. It seems like a great idea. So yeah, they, they seem pretty easy and willing to I know some of the other cities that they have clubs in, like they have, uh, their local guys who put together different gimmick shows to, you know, just shake things up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, well, variety, you know. Uh, yeah. you got a you got a new podcast coming out, right? I do, which is one of my failed show ideas. <laughs> I just turned it into a podcast. Why not? It's called the Live Reads. Uh, live Reads, a podcast. I think you have to search to actually find it. Otherwise, literally, just ads come up. Poor planning on my part, but uh, <laughs> it's just a uh, a silly idea of just doing live reads for products businesses, whatever. Everything is made up. It's a phony ad pitch show. So my whole gimmick is like, if you want to be in business, I will write you an ad for free, you know, send something in. I've been starting off with just like just the standard podcast ads. Like my first episode was blue chew and manscape. Yeah. Quick 15, 20 minute episodes. I don't want the gimmick to run on too long, you know, gets tired and repetitive, but I'm about to put the fourth episode out. I do it weekly on Wednesdays. We'll see what happens with it. I'm nope. having fun. Maybe it's just for me, but who knows? Are you working alone on this? Yes, currently. Uh, but you know, once I think once I have it established a little more, start finding people who would want to do one and bring them in. But I'm still kind of you know trying to set the table with it and get it to be how I want it to be. What's also the hard? Try to shake up, shake up the rants just enough so that it's not the same episode over and over. <laughs>
0: What's the hardest part with doing that so far? I mean, um, it gotta seem seems like it, it takes a whole lot
1: of creativity to do it. So far, the hardest part for me is trying to not just have it be the same rank. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like I don't want it to just be like, you know, uh this this is bad. Like, I don't want the parody to just be mocking products and live ads. Like I want some of them to be fun and lighthearted and silly too. And I think that that was episode three. I tried to, tried to change it up with more positivity. And I think just that concept of where I want to go with it and trying to find a balance, like I said, it's still very new. So I'm still trying to to work it out, but I don't want it to just be like a, like a, Oh, this stinks. Yeah. You know, like, Oh, why are you buying manscaped? It stinks. You know, I want it to be, More like, oh, don't you want to clean another region? Like, what's wrong with you? You know, something like that, just to shake things up. Now, do you have a list of, like, products you want to rant against? I've got a handful that, like, I have that I want to do, but I try to only do one of those per episode. I only do, like, two actual ads per episode, and then I have, like, a dumb plug of the week where it's just like, oh, like, this week will probably be this podcast coming up, like yeah. oh, plug of the week, you know, on the mic with Mike Peters. Check it out, you know, stuff like that. Things about commercials, like I, I did a brief story about the Chipotle ad that set Twitter on fire on Thanksgiving Day. Of I missed that. Like, I missed that completely. It was a three-minute commercial that was the saddest thing I had ever seen in my life, and I watched it with my family, and we were all watching it on the verge of tears. And at the end, it was for Chipotle, and we all felt violated. <laughs> and my sister literally went, that was for fucking Chipotle? Are you kidding me? And it was like, it, we're not kidding. It was it was incredible. And then I went on the internet, and people on Twitter were losing their minds because of this commercial, <laughs> all for the same reason of, I can't believe Chipotle did this, <laughs> all to just say that they work with small farms. I don't think I've ever seen a Chipotle commercial. I don't know if I ever have beforehand, but it, that one definitely left an impact. I gotta, I'll Google it <laughs> for sure. Uh, should I watch it or no? You should watch it. It's worth seeing just to be amazed that it went through so many meetings. For probably, I mean, Thanksgiving, Dallas Cowboys football yeah. game, halftime commercial has to be easily like a half a million just to buy the spot, let alone the production of the commercial. It's just fascinating. <laughs> I know you're in shock, right? Yeah, I can see. <laughs> I
0: always thought uh, those commercials and those slots, they, they bother the hell out of me because it's like, why is Coors Light advertising at all? Why is Coca-Cola advertising at all? Like, we all like this, your product yeah. already, or we don't like it. You're not winning people over yeah. with
1: a polar bear. Well, the the, the huge, com- like those commercials where it's like, it's Coors Light. It needs a five-minute spot right? or a five-second spot. Yeah. Like, the mountains turn blue when it's cold. Have it if you're thirsty. There you go. Drink responsibly. Boom. Like, Coca-Cola. Ah, it's better than Pepsi. Move on. Like... At this point, when you've been a company for a hundred plus years and you're a global multi-billion dollar corporation, I don't know why you're spending that money. I don't know if it's a scheme, but (laughs) yeah. Now that you had mentioned the Chipotle thing, like, I don't think I've ever actually seen a TV ad for Chipotle before. Like you see it, you know, like on the screen of, you know, like your Chrome browser or something, or maybe on the side of a bus, Right. but they, they went super emotional for the holiday <laughs> that's insane
0: I'm trying to think the last time I saw like a commercial for cores original like oh probably never and they still sell it and I'm sure people
1: still buy it and it had like a surge in popularity in the past couple of years too did it really yeah it was it was making a comeback in like uh in bars in the area of like being on tap and stuff like that, where it was like, I don't think I've seen a Coors original handle outside of a VFW <laughs> before like 2017. Yeah, and that. then all of a sudden they were just popping up. But again, no ad campaign with it, no dollars. It was no. just like, yeah, we have Coors original now. And people are like, yeah, that's fine, whatever. Yeah, it's right next to the Jenny Light, you know, like go for yeah. it. Uh, yeah. You don't, you don't drink it ball, at all, right? Not anymore, no. How long has been? <laughs> oh, for an alpha now? Uh, about three years. Okay. For now, <laughs> I'll never say I quit. I'll never <laughs> say I quit. So that way I won't disappoint anybody. <laughs> they run into me with a uh, a couple of Rocky Mountain Cold Coors lights. Uh, <laughs> sponsored sentence. But uh, was that? A, yeah. Obviously like, it was years, a choice. Over three years. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, I'm getting old. It started off of just like a bad weekend where it yeah. was like, I don't think I had enough fun the night before to justify feeling like this today. And it was, you know, it takes some downtime and I felt fine afterwards. And it was like more downtime after that. and Now it's just a, yeah, I don't have the urge to, I don't, I don't know. I have fun without it. Yeah. So
0: weird. Uh, yeah. When the pandemic was first going on, you know, people were like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm getting drunk. I'm having a lot of wine. Uh, uh, I'm drinking so much now. I didn't drink at all because I wasn't yeah. at the bar doing comedy. So I'm like, well, I don't, yeah. I don't drink at my house. So like, I always have beer at the house in case people come over. Mm-hmm. I almost never drink it. So I'm like, yeah, I, I think I went like three or four months, a couple times during the pandemic without having yeah. a beer. I'm like, yeah, like I'll crave Pepsi and the carbonation, but not a beer. And yeah. so I don't know. It's, but I, I've toyed around the idea of not drinking again. I like
1: hanging out with my friends too much to let that happen. The again, the again is where they get you. Yeah. That's why I'll never, that's why I'll be back. Got one more running. (laughs) So
0: uh, what are your plans? I mean, do you you plan on staying around Buffalo or uh, do you want to move somewhere else? I mean,
1: Uh, I did a brief move to New York city for the year of 2016, which I, I wasn't ready for, but I would still do it again. I'm glad I, I came back afterwards. I don't need Like, I don't feel like I have anything to prove by going somewhere else. Right. I would like to travel more for comedy purposes. Uh, I've got a a great gig now. Uh, I host game shows at colleges and corporate events and stuff like that that are kind of, you know, comedy adjacent. Uh, It's a loose format. I get to kind of riff however I want on stage. So that's fun at least. And I've been trying to tie more comedy into it when I travel for those things on an off night, uh, getting around, like as long as I'm still writing and working on new stuff and getting out on stages, being able to perform it. Like, I think that's success to me, you know, like I'll always want more. I think Anybody who does comedy will always want more, no matter where you land on the totem pole, you know, you're always kind of chasing the next thing. That's kind of part of the pursuit. But if I'm telling the same feature set in another five years or more, and I'm not adding new stuff to it, I'm not, you know, doing anything with it. I think that's when it's time to hang it up for me, but I'm still, I'm still there. So if I'm just, you know, a part-time road dog, Picking up work where I can. That's A-OK with me. So you're hosting a game show.
0: I've never asked this question on this podcast, but do you have a favorite game show host? Oh,
1: oh, I <laughs> I get this all the time. And then somebody will remind me of somebody else. Yeah. Uh, who I forget about. I'd have to say for my personal tastes, I think my favorite was Louis Anderson doing The Feud. Okay. There's just something... I loved Louie. I love Louie Anderson. I loved life with Louie. When we were talking about TV shows, that's one that doesn't get enough love, but something about him when he hosted the feud, it felt oddly enough, more serious. (laughs) I don't know if it's that gravelly voice that he has, but just something about when he was on the feud, I was like, this is a real game right now. You could tell that he wanted them to win. Like he was rooting for them. Yes. Like, uh,
0: absolutely, uh, it, it almost seems like I, like, I'm not a, I'm not a fan of Steve Harvey on the feud and uh, like, I, he's rooting for good TV and I get that. And it's yeah. like a showcase. I see it as a showcase for Steve Harvey. I don't like that. My yeah, favorite. Yeah. My favorite family feud host will always be Ray Combs. And, you know, he's the guy okay. I grew up watching. It's only there for a couple of years. He's a comedian. He, uh, hanged himself. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he knew how to go out. Uh, but, you know, it, that's, that's my guy. I, I love Jay Peterman. Uh, John O'Hurley was on the show and, and Richard Carn I hated, hated Dawson. Didn't like him at all.
1: Oh, I mean, that was, I like to chalk that up to a different era. Yeah. Well,
0: you'd like it to, was, but he came back.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, he wasn't my cup of tea either, you know, but Willie Anderson on the feud probably my top. I mean, you got to love Alex Trebek. Yeah. You know Bob Barker. I mean Regis I, on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? No oh, thank you. No, he was, yeah,
0: uh, for that me. was a great. Great show though. I think was it Meredith Vieira took it over?
1: Yes, she yeah. took it over when it went into syndication, and it was much better. Yeah, like three in the afternoon, I'll watch Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, even though I know none of these people won because it was filmed three months ago and it would have been <laughs> new. But it's it's still interesting. Regis felt like he was personally paying the million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> And the opposite of Louie, he wanted you to lose. It felt like that watching him on there. It was but, almost uh,
0: like, like if somebody wins the million, the show's over. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no dude, you're going to be on next week too. Cause you make a lot of money doing this. Uh, but the of, drama's gone. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite hosts of all time, probably my favorite game show is Press your luck. And I love Peter Tamarkin from like the, the no, seventies. No, and I think it's just the eighties. Yeah. And Loved him. You know, he died in a plane crash. He, you know, I don't I don't know why I know why all these game show hosts die, <laughs> but it's just in the all Reese's of your favorite ones <laughs>
1: died. All of them, <laughs> 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 tragically. Yeah.
0: But I, I'm a I'm a sucker for I haven't watched the new pressure luck. I'm sure it's fine, but I'm a sucker for those just 1980s game shows with those those long skinny yeah. microphones and the bad hairstyles, and I don't know. And I also think David Ruprecht on Supermarket Sweep is an
1: underrated game show. Host. Oh, I never watched the comeback of Supermarket Sweep. I haven't Sweep, either, yet. but that original one, and he was great. Like for such a bizarre concept and totally American concept game. <laughs> show. That's that's one hundred percent. That's USA all the way, baby. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, with those hams, but uh, <laughs> five of them. Uh, he just he was such a fun, silly energy for probably the dumbest game show idea ever. Yeah. Like Like, the pitch meeting for that had to just be like, listen, we've got a supermarket that we built for a movie that we have nothing to do. Like we got nothing to do with this thing. Let's churn out some sponsorship ads. You know, everything about it is pure 90s excess USA.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This just came to my mind. It's a tie in the game shows with uh, sitcom TV, but I just went back a few months ago and watched Punky Brewster, the original one. And because mm. the new one's coming out, I'm like, oh, right, let, me, let me watch. By the way, Punky Brewster, fantastic show. Really ahead of its time. It was a good show. David Ruprecht was a game show host on Punky Brewster. I think he was doing like a, like a, uh, the dating game spoof. Mm. But I'm watching this. And I'm like, you know, because it was probably eight years before Supermarket Sweep came out. And I'm like, why? That guy looks very familiar. And I'm oh, like, that can't yeah. be David Ruprecht on a, a TV show, like a, yeah. you know, a non game show. But him as a young man. Yeah. It before was, the it was salt one. and pepper hair days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, Where's Johnny Gilbert? Bring him back. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, uh, I appreciate you taking the time and, uh, and doing no, this. Thanks stuff. for having
1: yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, Do you got anything to plug? Any social media? Uh, at Chris Plumer on Twitter. I'm the crown jewel, of the great lakes on Instagram. I post about live reads on there. There's account for counts for those at live reads pod comes out on Wednesdays. You can find it on Spotify and Apple Music.
0: And I uh, believe I believe you're the only two time two
1: year champion, right? I'm the longest reigning Buffalo's funniest champion of all time. If comedy ends again and somebody reigns longer, they're stealing my gimmick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but 25 months in that reign, man, that's uh, that's talent. Long and fruitful career. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's the maybe that's the plateau. You don't know. It could be. It could be. <laughs> Thank you for putting that thought in my head at the end of this and not at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Enjoy the rest of your day,
0: man. <laughs> you the best. Uh thank uh, you so much man. I'll I'll talk to you in a bit. All right. Thanks man.
1: Pain back my skin. I'll wait outside your bathroom. hope they me in.